Hi, I'm Emma Smith from Hartford and I'm talking with Shanaz Asan about her recent novel. Hi Shanaz. Hi, nice to be speaking with you. It's brilliant to be speaking with you. Tell us, uh, j- just start off, tell us, tell us about your book, give us the title, tell us what it's about. Uh, yeah, of course. So Hashem and Family um, is the title of my book. It's my debut novel, um, so it's been a long time in the making. And it is the story of a family who moved from East Pakistan Uh, which we now call Bangladesh, uh, to Manchester in the 1960s. Um, And that part of the storyline is very much inspired by my grandparents' experiences. Um, And then it follows this family over a period of 20 years and their relationship between uh, Britain and Bangladesh and uh, sort of the challenges that they face about sort of settling into one new place while still having ties to, to the place that they left behind. Yeah, I really, uh, I absolutely loved that about the novel and the sort of parallels, I guess, between the different places, um, uh, the, 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 the two families, the ways, we don't want to give too much away because there's a kind of reveal uh, in, in it. But um, can you talk a bit about what the relationship is between, um, between Britain and, and Bangladesh in, in terms of your novel? How, how do you see the two, how do you or your character see the two places? I think each of the characters uh, view each of the places in, in their own particular way, as we do as people. Um, so there are four sort of main characters, I suppose, um, and the ones that we see who, who do the migrating, um, at least from East Pakistan to Manchester, um, there are two cousins who are called Hashim and Rafikul, um, and Munira, who is married to Hashim. And each of these three, I think, have quite an interesting um, way of relating to different places. So you see some of them really sort of throwing their all into being English and in some ways being more English than the English because that's what they feel they have to do to be accepted. So you see instances of them, you know, dabbling with changing their names um, and the different ways that they react to that. Um, And you also see that pull of home, um, which again, I think lots of migrants, it doesn't matter when you did it, lots of migrants and children of migrants, I think, still feel that sort of um, pull in different directions, I think. And what about the politics of East Pakistan and, and, and the sort of birth of, of Bangladesh? Because that was one of the things that I thought was really fascinating about, about that. So, so one of your characters goes goes back as a as a war reporter essentially does doesn't he and, and then we've got yeah. this you know horrific horrific depiction of of war and, and what it's doing i suppose what was interesting about that to me is that you're not you're not at all idealizing a kind of home home country mm. what did you feel about that that that, that 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 there's bits about the war in east pakistan are so horrific they're much more horrific than anything that happens to the characters in yeah. in britain um, but but you, you've obviously kind of uh, structured it so that so that that's there isn't there isn't this kind of idyllic place back home. It's more yeah. complicated than that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something that is um, again probably quite common to people who have migrated from um, a place that then undergoes some kind of turmoil. So whether that's you know out and out war or some kind of natural disaster or something, um, and the guilt that people feel, I think for for having escaped whatever the trauma is 
back home so to speak and having that safety somewhere else Mm -hmm. and uh, as you say what one of these characters does is he actually goes back to that environment and that place Um, and in a way I think it's a kind of guilt that a lot of migrants feel so when when things are going really poorly you know really badly back home he wants to be there and be on the front line um, almost as penance I think and the reason why I wanted to sort of explore the politics of the birth of Bangladesh is because it's quite frankly it's just something that I never uh, was exposed to in the mainstream so like throughout my education in the UK I was never taught about it in school it never featured on any kind of documentaries or anything that I watched so everything I knew um, came from the stories that my parents told me or my grandparents and I think it's just such an important and recent part of history I mean it's only happened in 1971 and it's a way that you understand so much of uh, migration history and patterns in the UK as well. Um, that's, yeah, it was basically one of the main reasons why I wanted to feature that in this particular book. One of the things um, that struck me was there's a, a child born at the same time as the country. And I was thinking about um, your novel as a brilliant sort of love child in a way of classic Coronation Street on the one hand <laughs> and something like Midnight's Children on on the other, the sense of a kind of a, a family or a domestic um, kind of story set against this extraordinary kind of p- political landscape. So you said that part of the inspiration for this was your grandparents' j- journey mm-hmm. to the UK. What, what, what were your sort of more uh, what, what were your more literary, inter- you know, inspirations, or who, who are you? Who do you draw on as a writer? Do you think? Yeah. Um, well, when I was thinking sort of through the idea of this book, and it had been sort of knocking around in my head for years, really, before I actually sort of sat down and decided to write it, I'd always thought of those books that um, explore a period of history um, through the lens of a family or people. Mm. And so it's very character driven and this sort of stuff happens in the background. Um, That's not to say it's not important. You know, at at some points I chose to foreground that. Um, But it's all sort of told through the the, the human experiences and the human face of it. Um, And in terms of the writers, um, I love Louis de Bernier. um, Mm. And I think he's somebody who does that incredibly well, this idea of really getting into a place. So whether that's, you know, wartime Greece, or you know, an island off the off the coast of Turkey um, during the you know decline of the Ottoman Empire. Um, just two of the periods that he wrote about, but it's all through that sort of very human um, interactions with people. But also, I think there is. I mean, I certainly felt that there was a shortage, as I said, sort of growing up of those kinds of voices. Um, I think now you've got more sort of writers talking about partition. And you've got different writers who talk about sort of the Bengali migrant experience. So like Jhumpa Lahiri is a writer that I really respect. Um, And she talks very much about more recent um, migration from um, Bengal. So she also talks about India, Bengal going to America. But that's not that's not my family's experience. So, yeah, that was why I wanted to do this. And tell me about the one thing that really struck me was the well, the and family of the of, of the title of your of your novel, because in some ways, I guess what that conjures up, and, and there's something about the the cover is a brilliant sort of mock up of it painted on a on a sign, isn't it? And it is the sign yeah. of, of the shop. In some ways, that seems 
as if it might be quite a conservative idea or a quite quite a um yeah quite a conservative idea and in fact the family that you talk about is an extraordinarily blended extended sort of non-traditional one in all, in all kinds of ways um and in some ways with these two really close women friends um Manira and Helen at the heart of it um I thought that was a really interesting take on on family and maybe you could talk a little bit about mm. that yeah because um a few people have sort of said that and sort of commented on how it seems very, uh, as you said, non-traditional, like it's very unorthodox sort of family arrangement that we see in this book. Um, but for early migrants, that was actually more common than we think. Um, sort of living in extended families, um, you know, space was an issue. So sort of lots of people living together was quite common. And the friendships and connections that sort of came about that you weren't just living together you're also neighbours, you were friends, you were each other's guides and that kind of thing. And one particular story I remember was my grandmother telling me about um, when she first came to the UK. So she was living in one of these big extended houses full of, you know, other East Pakistani men. So she was the only woman in this house. And there was a little boy who was there and he was with his dad. And I think he must have been in his early teens or something. Um but she and him were the only ones that were a bit different. They were the ones they were the ones that weren't going off to work every day. And it's kind of unthinkable that, you know, a young bride would be sort of striking up a friendship with this sort of young lad, but they were all each other had. Um, and I sort of took that as an inspiration for these sort of unorthodox or unexpected friendships that definitely happened in that period. And I think also we often think that, you know, a lot of the language even now about immigrants is that they keep themselves to themselves. They don't integrate with other people. You know, we hear language about ghettoization and that kind of thing. And actually people really did live alongside each other. Um, these early sort of relationships of, you know, sort of interracial, um, you know, couplings really did happen and they weren't all sort of frowned upon either. I think actually in a way that generation were a lot more pragmatic and in some ways more open-minded then they ended up being when they settled in the UK and had children. That's so fascinating because there's a, there's a scene that really strikes me. I don't want to give too much away about the book because I think it unfolds in a, with a beautiful kind of rhythm. And I, I sort of, I don't want to do a lot of spoilers, but I was just thinking there's a, there's a, a lovely bit um, sort of, to, I guess, in the last third of the book where the, the, the younger generation, so the sort of second generation, um, migrants are talking um, that they're, they're in clashes with the kind of um, National Front and those kind of fascist protesters in, in, in the 80s and there's a conversation mm. between them and, and two people from from this older generation Vincent who's a sort of character slightly on the on the margins who I, who I liked very much and Hashim um, and, and the sort of prag well the sense that the older generation did, did you feel that they have had to um, sort of, they've had to compromise and to, and, and to keep their heads down and get established? And, 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 and in your book, it seemed that it was the next generation who were able to be more angry, m more um, uh, sort of standing up against racism and, and, and more, yeah, more, 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 yeah more, more, more kind of out there, really. Yeah, absolutely. I think that sort of comes naturally as well. That I think there is a difference from when you have moved to a place and when you've been born there. And I think, you know, if, when you've moved to a place, 
it takes time to to work out the systems and how things are and you know what the the status quo is and how much you can push that and I think a lot of people at that time as you say really did just want to keep their heads down and get on with it and weren't really looking for trouble um I think trouble often found them um and that comes through in the book as well you know sort of harassment and worse um was certainly something that people felt right from the beginning but yeah the the next generation the ones that have been born in the UK the ones that sort of feel like they've got some kind of claim onto this country do expect more and I think you see that even now you know like future generations um and all of that's completely legitimate of course um you know people have a long history with the UK before they've even come here just by the virtue of the fact that they are from countries that were colonized um and so this sort of long history that um migrants have with the UK before they've even become migrants again is something that I think isn't often talked about. I thought that what was interesting about the migrant, well not, I was going to say the migrant experience, I mean obviously that's a really stupid kind of generalisation because there isn't, uh, there isn't one, there are, there are you know, many many thousands of sure. different ones, but what the UK enabled for some of the people who came was quite double-edged because on the one hand there are some kind of almost they're not fairy. They're not fairy tale. They're very kind of realistic, and I, and I, and I enjoyed the kind of realism of your book. But there are some really, you know, good luck, good good news stories. Some things work out. Some things work out really well unexpectedly. That mm-hmm. families are able to progress um, economically and and sort of change their situations. Manira, who's a really 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 interesting, ambitious, clever woman, um, with a with a husband who who supports that kind of brilliantly. Um, you know she's she's on her way and and she gets the things that she wants she gets she gets employment outside the outside the home and the biz the home business and then she gets her you know she, she she's able to proceed so on the one hand there's all that kind of good stuff and then on on the other hand um, there is this background of um, fear and uh, you know the, the people don't want to walk home um, on, on their own there's a lot of protection of the of, of the young people knowing that they're likely to be um targets and that's that's very um that too is very sort of clearly and unflinchingly depicted so i mean i guess it is double-edged isn't it their their experience in your, in your book on the one hand it, it gives a lot to them mm-hmm. they work really hard for it and on the other hand it really treats them very very badly yeah and I think that's the reality of, of what a lot of families experienced as well. Um, I mean, in a way for me, like as a, you know, on one side of the family, I'm third generation. It's actually crazy to me to think that I have family members who have, you know, lived in Bangladesh their whole life and have never dealt with their race and never been asked to, you know, so their ethnicity has never really come up. It's never been noticed when they're in class. It's never been noticed when they're trying to apply for jobs or anything like that. And you know, maybe it was naivety or people just weren't aware of it or anything, but those early, you know, people who were coming over, um, I just don't think had any kind of idea of what really to expect. And so that kind of, as you say, that sort of double-edgedness of it, um, yeah, it was an economic opportunity. And I think actually early on, and again, this comes through in the book as well, you know, sort of Hashim says when he first comes over, the plan is just to come for five years Mm. and to do his work and to earn some money and to like, you know, enough to set him up for when he goes back home. And then I think what often happens, and certainly what happens in this book, is that those 
advantages of being here, those perceived advantages kind of take over. Um, you know, fundamentally, there was a healthcare system that worked, there was an education system that worked. And those sort of very practical things, I think, especially when you have children, become enough to keep you, even though you yourself as sort of that first generation who have come over and been displaced. That's what I think people mean when they talk about the sacrifice mm. of people who come over. You know, they're the ones that really do sort of give up their sense of um, their sense of belonging. Um, I think it's actually really hard for us to really understand what that must have felt like to to really give up your sense of legitimacy in a way and to do that for the benefit of your children or what you believe to be the benefit of your children. And then, as you say, that next generation come up and they have expectations that go beyond that. You know, it's not enough for them to just, you know, have these, I don't know, educational opportunities, whatever. They're citizens, they belong, they deserve more than that. Um, and I think that's a conversation you see happening throughout it as well. I was struck that you, that there is, there is racism, there are, there are racists. They're very, um, they're really faceless uh, in, the, in the narrative. They're, they're just a kind of, presence you know someone's locking up the shop and they hear footsteps or uh, mm -hmm. you know someone's in a in a playground just sort of um shooting the breeze or something and uh, I, I wondered if you'd made a, a sort of ethical decision not to make racists into people you know uh, and not to write about not to write about them so, so the the white brits that you talk about are all well, Helen, I guess, is, you know, is, is, is an absolute is part of the family. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you say that, because I think on some level I must have made that decision, but uh, I haven't heard it sort of, you know, summed up as eloquently as you did just then. But yeah, I think often, you know, racists or those kinds of individuals, whether it's, you know, in the media or whether it's in, in a novel, um, become become the subject mm -hmm. and I didn't want them to be the subject and also I think it then becomes easier to to say these are individuals and these are individual instances and that particular person behaved like that or that particular uh you know gang did this but we're not all like that and I actually think it's quite uncomfortable to admit but I think that there are institutions and systems that were then and still are now racist and discriminatory yeah. and uh by talking about it as though it's sort of more generic i think then means that we all need to be a bit more aware of our own complicit sort of you know part in this um yeah were, were you conscious as you were writing it did, did you did you ever feel you were censoring yourself or or being um making that that complicity that point about complicity easier for, for readers i tell you what i'm thinking of there's a scene mm -hmm. in the school classroom which in some ways i mean there's there's awful violence in 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 this book i mean very 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 well depicted and not nothing gratuitous about it but really you know really awful violence in 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 both contexts both con national contexts but the bit the scene that i found unbearable in a way was was the teacher in the school mm, um, yeah and that seemed to be the moment when you were I don't know, in some ways, most explicitly kind of political. Because nothing happens to her, does it? No, there's, no, there's no redress. There's no one to speak to. No. There's nothing can be done. Um, there's, no, there's no sort of resolution to that story. She's just presumably still there. It's a, it was a really, really shocking uh, kind of moment, really. And, and I just wondered whether there were, 
you had more of those that you might have um, wanted to suppress or I guess it's what your obligations are, whether you felt you had obligations in writing this novel and, and who you thought would be reading it. It's really interesting that you say that because that particular part, more than any of the rest of the book, was personal for me. So that was based on an actual classroom experience that I had in primary school. Um, and I wonder if that sort of rawness of feeling maybe comes through and that's what, I, yeah, what it is that really you're responding to in it. Yeah. yeah, in terms of, uh, I guess, responsibility or you know what it was that I wanted to pick, I suppose it's the different elements of it. I think, um, you know, these days, especially, people get really cross when you, uh, you know, not accuse them of racism, but, you know, when you say that this is racist or whatever, you know, it's almost like it's more of an insult to be accused of racism than it is for you to actually do something that could be perceived as being racist. So, like, the, the emphasis has shifted. It's like it's the worst thing you could possibly be called, even if what you're doing is that and just fall into that category, which I find crazy. Um, But that sort of feels to be at the position that we're at. You know, we know that racism is a bad word and we don't want to be associated with it. And yet it still exists and pervades in so many different ways. And what that um, particular incident does, I think, is just sort of show the different ways it can, it can exist. You know, we've got language for it now. We call it a microaggression, you know? So when, you know, somebody says something like, oh, you've written a book, you know, like in the way in which they say it. Or, you know, like I actually had somebody tell me once at a dinner party I went to that I I got this book published because it's trendy these days to be talking about that kind of stuff. You know, that kind of thing is what we call a microaggression. It's somebody saying, uh, you know, your abilities alone are not enough. Like you've got some other kind of advantage. People are doing you a favor or something like that. And the way what that teacher does there, I mean, in some ways it's not really a micro like it's it's actually out and out aggression, you know, aggression making this kid, yeah. yeah making this kid you know question you know their their identity and their sense of belonging and their legitimacy so yeah racism isn't always you know somebody being beaten up that happens in the book too and it's not always you know national front demos although that happens in the book too there's all of these different facets to it um and yeah i didn't want to bang the drum too hard um in writing that the book but in a way I didn't really have to because actually when you talk about the lives of people um and if what you're doing is just telling the experiences of what a lot of people went through then that's enough you don't actually really have to to make these points because these sort of pop up naturally again and again as they do in the course of real people's lives it's a brilliant it's a really brilliant book it's a really brilliant um book not just a brilliant first book um what what are you gonna what, what are you writing now what are you gonna write what's what's gonna be the next one uh, so the next one too soon been... to say you only just published <laughs> no no it's not too soon it's um I have I have been working on something else um I was sort of told that the further you are into your next book at the time of publication the better yeah because you know you're you're focused on something else um but yes I am part way into the next book um and again that that's also sort of um focusing on a family a South Asian family um, but this one is actually set in um, a small town, which is very much based on the town that I grew up in. So it's an anonymous town in West Yorkshire at the moment. And it's this idea of um, children moving away and then coming back home. 
I'm really pleased to hear that I'm not only, uh, well, everything about that, but particularly to hear it's set in West Yorkshire, which is our, our, our um, homeland for, bo- for both yes, of us. Yes, it is. Because <laughs> um, I wondered why you didn't set this. Is, is, is that bec- why you didn't set this in, in West Yorkshire and why you set it in, Lan- in Lancashire instead? Is that because that's where your grandparents came to? Or what, 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 why was that the setting? Um, it was two reasons. So, yeah, one is that that is where my grandparents went to. And so the stories and things that I'd heard for me it just sort of it happened that that's sort of where it popped up um and that's related to the second reason which is that the the very first chapter when you see Hashim um sort of standing on a train platform somewhere in Manchester that first page that you read as a reader is the first page I ever wrote and it's basically unchanged from how I wrote it and that's because it was the first scene that came into my head when when I was thinking about this book so Hashim just sort of turned up in my mind and he happened to be in Manchester. And then I, after that point, I didn't really feel like I could change it. Um, so, yeah, that's that's why. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to writing about somewhere that I'm sort of a bit more personally familiar with having grown up there. And I think it'll be nostalgic as well. I quite like writing about places when I'm not there in a way. Yeah. Um, I think you sort of remember places a bit more sharply, a bit more vividly when you're not actually physically there. Yeah. So that's what I'm working on now. That's really great. That's really great. And then I just thought maybe we'd finish up with just a quick, um, if you could do a whistle-stop tour between um, Hartford and now uh, for you, I think people would really love to know, you know, how you got from how you got from A to B or H to. Just give us the potted version. So you did <laughs> yeah. um, history and English. Uh, when did you graduate? Uh, so I graduated in 2009. Um, and then after that, I went to Bradford, um, so back home for a year, and I did a master's at the University of Bradford um, at the Peace Studies Department there, um, which I absolutely loved. Um, and it was very different to doing history and English, but it was, you know, working with, studying alongside people who were like working in development and that kind of thing. Um, and for a while, I actually thought that I might go down that line, um, but in the end, I got a job um, in London. And I always said that I wouldn't contribute to the brain drain. Like I was really, really adamant that I would stay in West Yorkshire. But ultimately a job came up in London um, that I really loved the look of, which was working in Interface in a, a non-profit. So I moved down to London um, and basically spent the next eight years working in various different nonprofits and higher education. And then I did a master's in the US um, I was lucky enough to get a scholarship um, and went to UPenn, University of Pennsylvania, and did a master's in nonprofit leadership. Um, and it was actually then um, that I started writing Hashim and Family. Uh, so then when I came back to the UK, I sort of decided to prioritise writing. So I carried on working in higher education um, part time and then working part time, uh, sorry, writing part time as well. Um, and where does that take us up to? Then um, I did a very Hartford thing and got married to somebody who I'd met at Hartford. <laughs> and yeah, give I mean, a shout out. Is he yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, give him a shout out. Yeah. And then we moved to Ethiopia last year for his work. So we moved to Addis Ababa almost two years ago now, actually. So I've been living in Ethiopia for the last two years. So yeah, you asked for a whistle stop tour. I think that's taken you to a couple of continents even. Yeah, fantastic. 
yeah fantastic so Shanas, let we, we, we've, we should wrap it up um it's been so really great to talk to you really really great i absolutely love the book and one of the ways i loved it is i've i've been thinking um about the characters since and sort of one yeah kind of wondering what they're doing it's a feeling i have um when i read someone like ann tyler who i think is a really brilliant chronicler of 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 a kind of ordinary but kind of extraordinary kind of um interrelationships and stuff and and uh, and i'm thinking afterwards what are those characters doing and i thought that about Hashim and family um i think it's a really really brilliant novel so let's let's give that a shout out to everybody um who is listening Hashim and family by shanaz Asan. um but i just wanted to say thanks shanaz and congratulations uh, thank you so much I really i'm so looking forward to the next one in the unnamed place which we all know is keithley yeah, yeah, we might as well give that one a proper shout out. Yeah, um, yeah thank you. It's been so Thanks. good talking to you. Brilliant. Thanks, Shanna. Thanks. Thanks.